Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Future of Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Hoffman. On this episode, I am joined by Rabbi Noga Brenner-Samia. She is the executive director at Hillel Israel. She leads the Hillels at seven university centers throughout the country. Prior to joining Hillel, she was the deputy director of Bina, the Jewish movement for social change, as well as a teacher at the secular yeshiva of Tel Aviv. Enjoy my conversation with Rabbi Noga Brenner-Samia. Noga, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. You are really one of the bright spots in the entire Jewish world, not just in the Israeli Jewish world. And before we get into all the great stuff that you're working on today, why don't you give us a peek behind the curtain, where you came from, everything that led to where you are today? I guess I'll start with, I mean, I grew up in New York and Netanya. So on both sides of the ocean, a lot of back and forth. I had the privilege of being born in Israel, so I'm a Sabra, but also the privilege, the schut, as we would say here, of making Aliyah three times, immigrating to Israel three times, twice as a child and once with my husband and my children. Um, So I've really um, danced between the two worlds of Israel and the United States my whole life, feeling equally comfortable in both worlds. Uh, Thankfully, speak both both languages fluently. So that's a bonus, but also I always say um, equally uncomfortable in both worlds, always kind of, um, at least Jewishly, continually seeking um, my Jewish home, uh, both in Israel and the United States. Were there times during your childhood that really stood out and said, wow, like this is a cornerstone of my Jewish journey, or was it more just there all the time and it slowly built? Yeah, so my, my father is a reform rabbi. He lived for many years in Israel, now living um, in the United States. And my mom was uh, active in the reform movement here in Israel. Um, I, t- I grew up really going to diverse range of Jewish schools. My elementary education was in Orthodox institutions, both in Israel and the United States. I went to Yeshiva of Flatbush in Brooklyn, actually, believe it or not. And um, I went to a secular public high school in Israel and then university, um, did both university, both in in Israel and the United States. I'm a graduate of the Technion here in Israel. I have an engineering degree from the Technion Institute of Technology and also an education degree, a Jewish education degree from Hebrew University in Jerusalem and HUC. And I got my MBA at Washington University in St. Louis. So I kind of also traversed both those worlds of the um, business and education, the profit and the nonprofit. So that's kind of part of my bio as well. Um, I'd say Jewishly, a few milestones for me. One would be my bat mitzvah, I'd say, when I was 12. And for me, being the third of three sisters, um, both had had bat mitzvahs, aliyah la Torah, they read from Torah. Um, it, was, it was clear to me that I would do the same, but I was studying at an Orthodox um, school in Israel and none of my friends were doing that. And I actually remember having almost a, um, a secret you know, bat mitzvah in the driveway of my home. I didn't invite any of my friends. It wasn't something I could even talk about. No one understood what that was um, for a girl to, to read Torah. And, um, and I remember... Um, I guess I'd say that's something that that's that that I've carried with me. Um, 
And I've thankfully been able to, in my professional life, turn that into kind of a, a charge or a, a motivator to say, that's, that's an indicator of what needs to change in Israel, right? We need to open up Judaism to many different approaches to, to Jewish life, including ones in which women play a more prominent and equal and egalitarian role, and certainly one where girls can have the opportunity for Torah reading um, if they choose to do that, um, being one example, of course, of that. So I'd say bat mitzvah for me was one. And then the second, um, and I call this a Jewish milestone, even though it's, it's not only a Jewish milestone, but I would say it's the assassination of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin in 1995. Um, at the time I just graduated from the Technion, I was still living on campus um, with my husband. I was already married at the time. And we were watching a movie in the student lounge um, when the movie went black and the newscaster came on and announced what had happened. And we all got on buses the next morning and went down to the, to the square, which is today called Rabin Square, um, to sing songs and light candles and be in the moment of this moment of despair of not only um, that a human being was killed, a leader, a Jewish Israeli leader was killed by another Jew um, he was killed in the name of Jewish values, right? Yigal Amir sought out support, encouragement, and a directive from rabbis um, that found there was halachic basis for doing what he did, Din Rodef. And, and that for me, I think only many years later, I realized this, but that was, for me, was a moment of, of truth. It was a moment of, of Jewish a form, it was a moment that formed my Jewish identity um, insofar as there were many Israelis, especially on the secular Chiloni side in Israel that said, okay, if this is Judaism or this represents Jew Judaism or Jewish values, right? Then, then I want nothing to do with this. This is not the kind of Judaism that I uphold. And, and, and there isn't, remind me, I'll bring in some, some data actually that speaks, um, to the distancing of many Israelis from, from Judaism, as ironic as this sounds, right? In the, in the Jewish home in Israel, there are many, many Israelis that distance themselves from, Judea, from Judaism. There is even hostile towards it or feel antagonistic towards Jewish life because, and Yitzhak Rabin's murder was just one example of that because of a lot of reasons we can go into in a moment. Um, but that was one kind of main reaction to the murder. But the second one, and this is one that I connected to years later was to say, if this is what Judaism has become, or this is an interpret an interpretation of Jewish values, then all the more reason that we, the liberal modern Jewish, you know, um, uh, progressive um, Jews in Israel, chilonim, secular Israelis in Israel, need to work harder at defining Judaism differently. Right, we need to reclaim, and actually, it started a kind of a trend in Israel that we call it in Hebrew the nichus mechadash, this reappropriation, reclaiming of Jewish life of Judaism by chilonim, by secular Israelis, and I use that term kind of interchangeably, um, because for many, for many in Israel, it was like it was seeded, right? Jewish life, Judaism was seeded to the Orthodox, to the ultra Orthodox, to Haredim, to the to the Rabbanu, to the chief rabbin. And to say, we don't really need to, to um, uh, explore our Jewish identity or deepen or strengthen our Jewish identity because we're Israelis. And, and, it, and we, could, we could farm that out to 
um, to the Orthodox uh, Jews in Israel. And we realize, and, and I think Rabin's murder is, is an example, assassination is an example of that, that that's not the case, that we have to even more so, we have to take responsibility for Jewish values in Israel. Um, because if we don't, and this is as opposed to what goes on in, elsewhere outside of Israel, if in, in the United States, Jews don't take responsibility for their Jewish life and their Jewish identity, then no one will, and they, you know, assimilation and disappear, and, and, and there's loss of Jewish, of Jews and of Jewish life. In Israel, um, if we don't take responsibility and take ownership for our Jewish life, then others will, if you will, right? Um, there's, there's a strong Jewish sentiment in Israel, and it's leaning and trending towards um, a religious right-leaning um, type of Judaism. And, and so that's, um, if, if Israel, if secular Israelis don't take ownership of their Jewish life and their Jewish identity, then um, a vacuum is created that will be filled by more religious right-leaning uh, Jewish approaches. Wow, so a lot to unpack there. I wanna get into sort of opening up Judaism in Israel and, and making it more sophisticated and diverse, but I still wanna to touch upon the Rabin assassination because you made a, a statement there which you said that the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, who was the Israeli prime minister at the time, was, you know, it originated from Jewish values. Can you just go into more detail about what exactly that means? So the halakha enables um, the abortion of a baby in order to protect the mother. And this halakha essentially was taken out of that context and used in the context of the assassination of Rabin to say we can, it's, it's legitimate to kill Rabin in order to protect the Jewish people. And what at the time, Yigal Amir and others saw the peace process as a, as a threat, a direct threat, just like a pregnancy could be a direct threat to the mother. They saw it as a direct threat to the future of the Jewish people. And therefore there was legitimacy found within Jewish law. So when you talk about a direct threat to the Jewish people, can, I mean, to the extent that you can, why do you think that they thought that way? There are many in Israel that still think that way, that the peace process that Yitzhak Rabin was trying to implement, the Oslo Accords, um, are a direct threat to the future uh, of Israel. There are many in Israel that do not believe in land for peace. They see um, that giving up land is, is, is a damaging and threatening to the future of Israel. And, and that's a, a very um, popular, very right-wing leaning, leaning political view in Israel. Yeah, I think I, I said this right. I mean, maybe I, I might add here, not only was a great Jewish leader was shot, but the peace process was shot. And as we know, we've never really fully recovered from from that, not, um, a, not our Jewish identity in Israel as a result of that, and not um, our attempts at peace have never really uh, been able to get back on track after the assassination. So Nogo, let's go back to you know, this idea of diving back into your Judaism as a Chiloni, as somebody who's secular. There's been a monopoly on Judaism, so to speak, uh, by the religious right. Um, a lot of Israelis, as you said, who do not identify as religious right or anything close to that have in many ways renounced their Judaism outright. 
and as you said, are, are more Israeli than Jewish at this point. Um, you know, you, you are doing something that I think a lot of people, first of all, it's thankless work because, you know, no one's giving you a high five every day and people are probably asking you more, more often than not, what the hell are you doing? Why is this your mission? So, so tell us, why is this your mission? And, and more importantly, what's the work to be done? Yeah, it, it definitely is an uphill battle and there are oppositions from all sides, right? I mean, the opposition from the Orthodox world in, you know, this is um, better to disengage than to change, right? What they see as, as and Judaism has become stagnant in, in many ways. Um, and also opposition from the secular, what we call secular, but the chiloni, I'll use that term, um, the popular kind of sociological term in Israel is chiloni uh, for secular Israelis. And the chilonim will say, why should I care? This is not important. What's important is, you know, high tech and technology and, 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 and um, English and math and, you know, those, those kinds of um, worlds, um, which not to say they're not important. Of course they are. But what concerns me is the future of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state. I see both those things equally important, and we need to uphold both sides of that equation. There's a lot of work to be done on democracy. We have to be vigilant about democracy as any democracy needs to be. Certainly the United States, I, I think they would agree with, uh, with me on that right now, certainly. And, and also, but in Israel also on the Jewish side. And we need to make those two sides of this formula work in harmony with one another. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Ultimately, Israel is, is and will be a Jewish state. Almost every question um, every issue in Israel is a Jewish issue, whether it's, and now going back to right, the peace process, whether it's peace negotiations, whether it's how we treat our minorities within Israel, whether it's how we um, uh, deal with issues of religion and state, certainly, um, it, where we can who we can marry, where we can be buried, all these questions, and also if there's going to be buses on Shabbat, I mean, all these are Jewish questions. The future of Israel uh, is a Jewish question. And so it, it's too important <laughs> to cede and renounce, as you said, or relinquish to only a small minority or certain you know, voices on the religious right on Jewish issues. But we all have to be engaged in a Jewish discussion. And, and, and that's what I'm trying to do. And I know this is ironic. It might sound a little even crazy for Jews outside or for others outside of Israel that are listening to us right now. I'd say, but you're a Jewish state, you know, what do you mean work on your Judaism? But yes, many Israelis don't think seriously about their Jewish identity. And now going back to Hillel and my work at Hillel, we're trying to, to engage young Israelis on campus, students on campus in thinking seriously about their Jewish identity because it's important for them and it's important for the, for, for the collective, right? It's important for a personal level, individual, because I believe that we are all of us, we are all enriched or could be enriched by our Jewish identity, Jewish values. We can infuse our life with meaning and substance and significance through Jewish tradition and Jewish culture. And that's on a personal level. And then on a collective or a community level, Jewish tradition and Jewish values can, 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 can make us all better people. Right? There's a lot to be learned within our heritage um, that can, we could draw inspiration from. 
and become and and become and 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 become better members of society, better members of our community. And and so these are I, I want students, I want young people in Israel to see their Jewish heritage as such, to connect to the Jewish story, to connect, by the way, also to the larger Jewish story that's not only in Israel. So I think one window into this whole discussion is what we call the Jewish peoplehood discussion. We, I, I want to encourage young Jewish Israelis to feel a sense of being part of something larger than just Israel. There are Jews all over the world, and we're one big family, and we all should be learning about one another and learning from one another and being inspired from one another. And I think that's, that's one way of making Jewish identity and Jewish life more meaningful um, to us on a personal, as I said, and at, on a community level. So these, these, these topics are crucial, I think, for the future of Israel. I'll give one little piece of data that I um, kind of alluded to earlier. Um, the Israel Democracy Institute um, puts out a survey every five years on, with a question, on what's more important in the context of Israel as a Jewish and democratic state, Judaism or democracy or both. And in 2010, 48% of Israelis said both, of Jewish Israelis said both. In 2015, only 27% of Jewish Israelis said both. And that worries me. And that keeps me up at night because that, number is what holds this state as a Jewish and democratic state together. And if it's diminishing, um, that is of utmost concern. That also means that our society is becoming more polarized, right? Because more Jewish Israelis are choosing one over the other. And that's an indication of a more polarized society. And that concerns me. Why do you think that number dropped so dramatically from 2010 to 2015? What's interesting to note is while the category of both Jewish and democratic was reduced, the category of democratic, right, choosing democracy over Jewish increased. The Jewish also increased somewhat, but the democratic increased even more. And that's, I guess, to say that Many Israelis are going back to the beginning of our conversation, right? That many Israelis are kind of fed up with um, at least the prevalent definition of Jewish life in Israel, which is unorthodox or ultra orthodox, right? We talked about that um, a way of life, and I, so I think so. The increasing number of Israeli Jews that are just fed up with the kind of Jewish life or Judaism that's represented here in Israel. Um, and it's sad for me. And it's really also an indicator of, of ignorance because we know that once you open the Jewish bookshelf and you delve into the Jewish text, you can find all the values that people like me and other progressive liberal Israelis uphold like justice and peace and um, pluralism and equality, and all these values are Jewish values. They're all to be found in our Torah, right? Justice, we have tzedek tzedek tildof, justice thou shalt pursue, and after lerecha kamocha, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself, and um, which is, you have to have one, one constitution, one law for everyone, and, and many, and I can go on and on, these are all Jewish values, they're all in our Torah from thousands of years ago. So just a matter of going back to what we said earlier, 
taking ownership of it, taking responsibility for it, taking the time to learn about it. And that's, I think, where Hillel comes in is to open doors, right? We're trying to open doors for Israeli Jews to come in and take the time during the time of their, that their students on campus when they're, um, they're delving into their professional identities and their gender identities and their sexual identities. And they're doing all that while they're students at college. And this is giving them the opportunity to say, hey, we have to take our Jewish identity seriously too. And not only if you're Orthodox, maybe even the opposite, if you're not Orthodox, um, then, then this is the time to, to ask yourself some questions about the kind of life you wanna lead. What do you think are some of the conversations that sort of the Chiloni community in Israel and the Orthodox community in Israel need to be having with one another? Because it seems to me that, you know, we're, you're talking about polarization, people going more and more into their corner. Whereas it seems like what you're trying to prescribe is no, we need to come together and sit at the same table, so to speak, and have conversations around what does Judaism look like and Jewish life look like in Israel and so on and so forth. So what are those, what are some of those conversations that you think those two polarizing groups should be having? Yeah, again, it goes back to almost any issue you touch in Israel. You're gonna you're gonna come up with an issue that that we should be a discussion which we should be having um, in a more nuanced and, and deep way. I'll give the example of public transportation on Shabbat, which I mentioned earlier. So this is not a black or white conversation. And I think, and I think it's a great example on where we have to create a kind of a middle ground or compromise and having this discussion with both sides of the map, right? Uh, would potentially enable that. And by the way, there have been attempts to do that. And there's a, there's a well-known Gabizon Maidan kind of um, um, statement that to, um, that Ruth Gabizon and Yaakov Maidan uh, put out several years ago, trying to address issues of Shabbat in the public sphere. Um, because it's not a yes or no. It's not, yes, only public transportation on Shabbat should be uh, for everyone and freely and everywhere um, because it's a free country and we, um, you know, we're a secular uh, country just like any any country. Um, and, it, and it can't be completely closed on Shabbat because there are plenty of people who don't have cars and they need to get around and they want to have actually celebrate their Shabbat in a meaningful way and they need a bus in order to enable them to do it. So, so it's it's really... Um, a middle ground needs to be found. And I think even, I'm not talking about, you know, the extremes on both sides and there are always extreme, extremes and, uh, on both sides, but I'm talking the majority in the middle um, probably are able to get to a compromise about that. I'd, I'd say the typical secular Israeli doesn't want or doesn't need there to be public transportation everywhere and, and all, you know, and all the time on, on Shabbat. They also want to protect um, the environment of Shabbat, have a special atmosphere on Shabbat in the public sphere. Um, so, but, but, um, but on the other hand, they, um, there are certain rights that we need to be respectful of and, 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 a, a liberal secular state needs to, needs to enable, uh, or offer public tradition, at least in, in a limited way in certain neighborhoods, um, in Israel. So that's one example of a conversation. Another, of course, is how we treat Arabs in Israel. I think that's a huge conversation to be had. Um, and, you know, and of course how we, um, make peace with our neighbors is is another one that that's a Jewish conversation, um, like I mentioned earlier. Jewish and democratic. I mean, I think the average Israeli wants both. Um, but then when one camp goes into their extreme, then the other the reaction is that the other one goes into their extreme. 
and they're really just fighting against each other, right? I mean, that's sort of the irony of, you know, Israel living in the Middle East, and yet maybe the biggest threat is internal, not external today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I, you know, at a certain point, like, the world's not perfect. So yeah, in a perfect world, Israel could achieve Jewish and democratic 50-50 straight down the line. But we know that in many cases, it's not that you have to choose one or the other, but one gives a little bit more precedent over the other. And I think what I've seen in the Chiloni world in Israel, which is the world that I've been living in in Tel Aviv for the last 10 years, um, you know, there's definitely a, a much higher inclination to go to the secular side of things, just like every other country in the world. That's what a lot of Chilonim say in Israel. And I'm wondering, like, that seems a bit problematic because, you know, at the end of the day, it, if you ask me as, as an outsider who moved to Israel, I mean, in the situations where we have to give one precedence over the other, I think we always have to default to the Jewish and not to the democratic while trying to, again, create that balance because, you know, at the end of the day, there's only one Jewish state and the Jewish state can't be perfect. And I know that Jews in general have very high expectations for themselves, of their community, of their leaders, but like even in situations where we can be 98% correct, you know, there's still that 98% means, is it 49-49? Is it 50-48? Like, you know, and then again, is that 50 the secular? Is that 50 the Jewish? Um, and I just feel like sometimes we have to remember who we are as Jews. Sometimes we have to understand that in order for us to take care of the world, to be the so-called light unto the nations, that we, first of all, have to be the light unto ourselves. And... To me, it just feels like, you know, you mentioned that number of, you know, the, the, in 2010 to 2015, the number of Israelis who are leaning more secular than Jewish. It seems it feels like a situation where it's like, be careful what you wish for, because everything's a slippery slope. And if we go too much down that slope of a secular country, we know what that looks like. And I don't know if that's fair to the history of the Jewish people, the millions of people who have died so that you and I can even be having this conversation. I don't know if that's fair to the future Jewish generations who, you know, might not be in a situation where, you know, they have a strong Jewish homeland that can serve not just as a safe haven, but more importantly, as an opportunity to be the best version of your Jewish self. And so I'm just wondering like where you see in times where we have to take one over the other, uh, or we have to get precedence. Where do you see, you know, things happening in Israel in that regard from, from your lens? So I guess I would say it really is um, a delicate balance and we're all new at this, right? We're only 74 years old um, and we're still figuring this out. I don't think anyone, or certainly not the majority are saying, that we want to forgo a Jewish culture here, a Jewish majority, a Jewish nature to this country. This is what's unique. This is why I'm here. This is why I do the work I do, certainly. So I don't think that's that's even the discussion. And that's why I don't want to present this as an either or. It's not Jewish or democratic. It's really about both. And they don't contradict each other. There are certain interpretations of Judaism that could be seen as in conflict with democracy and vice versa. Certain interpretations of democracy that could be 
seen in, con in contradiction with, with uh, non-neutrality, right, with any kind of Jewish. Um, but I don't think we're talking about um, those extremes, and we're not talking also about creating a, a neutral Israel that doesn't have a Jewish flavor to it, a Jewish nature, a Jewish character to it. That's not even a discussion, or I don't think that's on the table right now. I think it's more, and I can give the example through, um, right, immigration laws. We have Chokashvut, which is the law of return. So anyone who has, right, a Jewish grandparent um, can immigrate and be recognized as a citizen in Israel. So we are um, prioritizing Jews over non-Jews in immigration laws. And by the way, most country, many countries do that. And that's kind of considered legitimate and valid um, way of approaching immigration to one's country. Um, but once they're in Israel, we can't discriminate. You can't have you know, uh, less or more because you're Jewish uh, by religion or, or not. Uh, so, so that's one example of, of how to kind of um, manage or balance uh, the two sides of this of this coin, which which I'm not even sure are, are necessarily two sides of the coin. And another one on on the other extreme. Another example is there's no law that says you can't drive on Yom Kippur, by the way, in Israel. And yet, um, and I'm glad there's no law that says that. And yet, nobody drives on Yom Kippur, including Arabs, actually, in that live in Jewish communities or near Jewish communities, don't ride on Yom Kippur because they're respectful of that of the holy of holy days. So I think that, that we're figuring out, right, this, again, this delicate balance between the two and how do we make it work um, for, uh, for us and for the Jewish people, not only for Israelis, because we know that Jew Israel is a Jewish homeland for all Jews around the world, but also recognizing the fact that we also have also non-Jews live in this country. It's not only Jewish Israelis in Israel. And, um, and that's the ongoing challenge to, <laughs> to all of us. So Noga, I noticed something really interesting about your career. I think in every situation that you've been in, basically since 2006, when you were the executive director of Kodor, you've really been like the underdog. I mean, so Kodor was an underdog to other more established Jewish organizations at the time. Then you were deputy director at Bina and were a teacher at a secular yeshiva, which is, you know, the most underdog you, <laughs> you can get. <laughs> in Israel, at least, if we're talking about Yeshivot, then you become executive director of Hillel in Israel, even though Hillel International is based in the States. And, and I think most people understand that most of the funding goes to US Hillel's as opposed to Hillel's in Israel. So you've really like taken on this underdog mentality. And even now when we're talking about, you know, sort of the Chilonim in Israel reclaiming their Judaism, I mean, that's a very underdog approach as well. How do you manage the underdogness that you've really, it seems like been accustomed to for several years now? Oh, interesting question. I've never really thought about it that way. I was always kind of thought that I was doing okay. Now I'm uh, beginning to question my career choices myself. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I don't really see it as being underdog. I see it as fighting for social change and all of us activists, that's kind of what we do. And we, um, and certain, otherwise, you know, there would be no reason to fight for social change if we were in, you know, the, the mainstream or the majority or, um, I guess, and another answer for me would be that, you know, 
one finds allies and and support systems wherever one goes. And I have certainly found I'm not alone in this in this uh, struggle. Uh, thankfully, there are others um, at Hillel. Um, Hillel International is, of course, supportive of Hillel Israel. Um, and there are many, and my you know my team at Hillel Israel. We have a great team that's dedicated to this work. So so yeah, maybe in a larger sense, we're um, underdog, maybe as you put it, but. I, but there are also many, many wonderful people who are dedicated to this um, at Hillel and outside Hillel, other organizations in Israel that are dedicated to this work from different sides of the map, by the way, working on, on these issues of pluralism on the Orthodox side of, 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 of Israel, as well as on the Chiloni secular side in Israel. And I'm thankful for that. I'd even say, go so far as to say that um, I'm encouraged by the change that I see in Israeli society. You know, I don't think it, it, and this is why I continue to work at what I do because I, um, I believe in it, and and we're not there yet, and there's a lot of work still to be done. But but more and more, Israelis uh, understand um, and see the importance of this work, or see um, other ways of of celebrating Jewish life, and and I think that's encouraging. Um, I often joke that it, um, just like for Americans coming to. Israel is a big boost for their Jewish identity, even if they never visit again or they have no connection or no friends or any remaining connection to Israel. But hopefully they go back to their home communities. Certainly Birthright does this very well. Um, they go back to their home communities with a better sense of understanding of Israel and, and, a, and a more empowered maybe Jewish identity. So for Israelis too, when they have an interaction or an encounter with Jews from around the world, that think along the lines of what I've just been describing the past half hour. Um, so they also come away inspired, encouraged, maybe um, um, empowered in their in their Jewish identity a little bit more. So I, I'm grateful for that as well. Uh, and I think with every with every you know struggle for social change uh, here too, we're talking about Chiloni Israelis for many years have just been gone through a process of disempowerment, right? They feel that they don't know enough, that they're ignorant, that they don't hold the answers, that there's this paradigm that we need to shift, right? That we have in, in, Israel, in Hebrew, we call it the agala melea or agala reka, the full wagon or the empty wagon, where many Chiloni Israelis feel that their wagon is empty, wagon, quote unquote, meaning their right, um, treasure chest of what they carry with them is empty versus the Orthodox or the ultra-Orthodox that have a full a uh, wagon of knowledge and um, and um, commitment, Jewish commitments, and 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 I think we need to change that. I think we need to first of all fill our wagon with a much broader, you know, um, understanding of uh, J Jewish knowledge and Jewish texts and Jewish um, ideas and thoughts, and also recognize that we have just as much, you know, our wagon is just as full, and we have just as much a right. And 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 also a responsibility, but also a right to um, uh, to be active in this field. So I kind of those are the things that keep me that keep me going, I guess, or encourage me. Last question: You know, when you say Hillel in, for example, the U.S., I mean, most Jews, at least, and even college students, know what Hillel is, or they've heard the name. But in Israel, I know it's it's not that way. What are you seeing, you know, on the ground though, in terms of you know, encouraging steps in the right direction as you build the Hillel brand in Israel? So I'd say this, I'd say we're Hillel's in, 
outside of Israel or in the United States and, and elsewhere are very much about being a Jewish home for Jews on campus. I'd say in Israel, we have an added challenge to that. It's not enough for us to be a Jewish home for Jews on campus because we're living in a Jewish state, right? It's all around us is a Jewish home for Jews everywhere. Um, it's much more about what kind of Judaism do we want to uphold um, in Israel? And that goes back to our discussion um, earlier. And I think that's where the issues, I guess the two flags we're trying to, to raise here on campus in Israel are Jewish pluralism and Jewish peoplehood and how those two flags, kind of those two values inform one another, right? To the extent that we um, will be open and pluralistic, right? Open towards um, different Jewish approaches, then that's the extent where we'll be open to Jews around the world and to a sense of being part of a Jewish family. Um, and the, the other way as well, to the extent that we get to know Jews around the world and we're open to, to different Jewish approaches overseas, um, that's the extent that we can maybe be inspired and be influenced here in Israel to also be more pluralistic within Israeli society. So I think those things uh, work together and those, um, and here we just, we just have, it's much more of a struggle. It's much more, I'll use the word underdog. I'll use the word maybe um, we're less mainstream and popular to raise those flags um, here in Israel than, than, than it is even in the United States, even being that Jews being a minority on campus and still more easily, I think, raise those flags. In America, they have different challenges, right? To raise the Israel flag for them is, is, is difficult, as we know, over, um, over time even more increasingly so. And that, that's also for me, a, you know, it, it's a challenge and that's a sadness for me being a Zionist and knowing that my friends and colleagues in, in America have trouble raising the Zionist flag on campus um, and that Israel, instead of being um, what brings us all together and what unites us, which is what I think we all strive for Israel to be, that unification factor, it's actually become a divider, right? It's become an issue that's too touchy and that's divisive and, and uh, among Jews and also between Jews and non-Jews overseas. So that, that also is, is very worrisome as, as certainly as part as a member of the, of the Hillel network, that's, that's an issue that we all need to think about and educate around. Noga, thank you so much for taking the time and best of luck. Thank you so much, Josh, for having me on this podcast. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you.